0: Hey, this is Rachel True, and you're listening to GGR Pirate Radio.
1: I woke up with a handful of empty sheets. The side of the bed where you sleep. I wanted things to go back to how they used to be. Maybe in another lifetime you'd be choosing me, but singer's us how you choose to be, ain't no more future for you and me. Usually I wouldn't accept a decision. Try to plead my case, drop to my knees to pray for a God to lead the way. What I need today is to find peace today, and some motivation to go out and seize the day. I'm only writing this to say what I need to say. With a glass of Jack Daniel and some treats to blaze. Inhale the stress, exhale the fact of moving on Only after you get through the night can you feel the dawn I know that there's better days ahead of me Once I put back all the pieces that are left of me Went from flying high to going low This ain't how it was supposed to go We were sitting on the golden throne I guess it's fitting that the king had to be overthrown On the highway I never thought you'd go sideways
2: you're listening to ggr pirate radio don't be a juice bag start your computations for time warp
0: you run around this city like it's your damn shooting gallery yeah what do you do what do you do you act like it's a playground you beat up the bullies with your fists
1: you throw him in jail, everybody calls you a hero, right? And then a month, a week, a day later, you're back on the streets doing the yeah. same goddamn thing! So you just put him in the You Goddamn. Market.
0: This is called power
1: radiator.
2: It is useless, enthusiast Don't let yourself be destroyed as Obi wan did.
1: for a BJ, $12 for an HJ, $15 for a ZJ. What's a ZJ? (laughs) If you have to ask, big man, you can't afford it. This is called pilot radio. Paying heels, chicks digs cars, glory. Last forever. Lady, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store.
0: Who the hell are you?
1: Name's
2: that. Housewares. Poorly, blower. make a wish.
3: Wish you weren't so fucking awkward about this. It's is
2: called pilot radio. Before we get started, be like, oh, these are stupid gums. guns. Guns uh, are for jerks. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Action news. And now, your host, Mike Lutford. <laughs>
3: I'm totally going to use that, too. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, my name is Mike Lunsford, and this is GGR Pirate Radio. Guys, we're back. We've got another episode for you in this lovely time of quarantine that we exist in 2020. We've got an awesome show for you lined up, um, but really what makes these shows so great are the people that we have involved. So let me introduce them. As I mentioned, I'm here. Mike, hi. Nice to meet you. Co-founder of GGR, it's greatgeekrefuge.com. Check it out when you get a chance. The guy who helped find this website with me, like we unearthed it like in a Mayan temple uh, in South America. Uh, there was a big boulder, it was a whole thing. You might've seen it.
0: Um, his name is Steve Monick. I just happened to find two of the three cursed keys. It's not a big deal, but we got through the temple. Don't worry about it. It's
3: no big deal. It wasn't like some creepy dude that just popped out and grabbed us. <laughs> We've also got um, when you're looking for a good dick euphemism, you want to who, get the best who euphemism that is, right? <laughs> and that's none other than the third leg of the tri- tripod of podcasting. And that's MC Brooks. Weebs are us in the building. <laughs> We've also got a man who's mysterious, who no one understands him but his woman. His name is James Rambo. It's true. No one. No one. Guys we're all stuck at home so for us because this is what we do we talk about pop culture we talk about media it's it's kind of who we are i've been consuming way more than i ever have i don't know about you guys but i've been watching so many movies so many tv shows like i've downloaded more video games to my cell phone than i've ever had on my phone ever like there's this cool it's called um, I think it's Retro Bowl is what it's called. It's basically Tecmo Bowl, but on your on your cell phone, and it's dope. I was like, I'm just completely addicted to it. Like I've gone to the Super Bowl a couple of times now with Washington, and like it's exciting because that's also how Wash. The only time way Washington <laughs> is actually going to get to the Super Bowl anytime soon. Um, but yeah, like completely addicted to it. But media. Let's let's talk about media because. There's TV shows, as I mentioned, there's movies. There's there's just so much to catch up on. But the one that has really been like just lighting social media on fire is ESPN's it was it was it a five part or a six part documentary? Ten part my friend. ten part. Ten part? Jesus criminy A ten part documentary about easily the most iconic basketball player of our time, and that's Michael Jordan, and it's called The Last Dance. I, I'm going to have to catch it at some point, just because, again, Michael Jordan is is an icon. He is the face of basketball, like at least as far as I'm concerned. But I, I'm also a kid of the 90s. So when I think basketball, I think Michael Jordan. But this documentary has just been incredible because everyone's talking about it. But apparently and I'm and we're going to let Steve and we're going to let MC talk about this. This has been something that is not like, like, like painting Jordan in the best light. It's not like, it's it's not like those commercials or like Space Jam or like all of the other things that made this like monster of marketing where it's like, oh, look, he's a good family man and look, he's always smiling and man, he sure is nice. Wouldn't you like to be next door neighbors with Michael Jordan? Um, from what the documentary has been telling me, that's not really what we're seeing with this. Is this, is this pretty accurate, guys?
0: Well, yes and no. Um, I mean, Because I think what the documentary is trying to portray is there was the public Jordan and the private Jordan. And both of those people were 100% true. It was just true depending on the context. And we as the public only ever got to see the public Jordan face. And now we're seeing the the private, behind-the-scenes, in-practice, private Jordan face, and you're kind of like, well, if that was what you were like in public, I don't think we ever would have liked you. I mean, we would have admired your talent. Right. But and there's a lot of athletes that we've seen in all kinds of different sports that are like, you know, really, really talented, but people don't like them at all. Yeah, right. um, and he knew how to toggle between those two versions of himself. And he was 100 percent that guy in any given moment. He just that was his real greatness is he knew who to be in what setting.
1: Right. And and I I would also add too that this, I mean, this documentary is that, and it's also serving like this purpose of for, for people who grew up watching Jordan and remember a lot of the stuff that we're seeing It's just, it's just jogging our memory, kind of placing it, giving us that, that nostalgia that we had watching, uh his his growth and his progression and kind of his greatness through the 90s but it's also a, a, a reintroduction for tons of younger folks who didn't watch Jordan or maybe only caught him like towards the end when he was you know unfortunately playing for the Wizards or <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's kind of you know, like it's it's one thing to to hear to, to hear all the stories and, and, you know, hear highlights and whatnot, but this is really kind of putting in perspective. If you're unfamiliar with Jordan, just kind of who this guy is and why people are so staunchly certain that he is like the best ever. Yeah. I mean, the the thing that's been kind of
3: consistent that I, that I've seen on, on social media is that like, He I mean he was the best. That that seems to be everybody agrees with that. But also that like he's he was a dick. Like he was super competitive. He was like he he started fights in practice and like ultimately like what a lot of people ended up saying was that like it's because he demanded like perfection, essentially. Like he um at one point Steve Kerr uh and him got in a fist fight and like Steve Kerr wasn't like the one that really said, like, well, oh it toughened me up in the long run, but like Jordan pretty much insinuated that's what happened It's like, oh, well, you know, how's he going to be able to handle the Celtics or the Pistons or or any of this other stuff? If he can't handle, you know, me taking a swing at him in practice and like all of these guys, like they would fight. And then it was over. Like if this happened in the modern NBA, this would be a huge story on ESPN. It would be all over Twitter. But like it he was kind of a product of the time. And yeah. like from what you guys are taking away from this, Steve, because I know you're a big Jordan fan, cause you're a big Bulls mm. fan. Yeah was it an end and ends justifies the means sort of thing like that you took away? Or was it just like, this is now we're seeing all of the inner cogs underneath of what we, what we already knew.
0: Yeah. And so the way MC put it was, you know, one of the benefits of this documentary is kind of catching people up. So, you know, Jordan's first season in the league was 1984. And I wasn't born until 1986. So I really started following Jordan and the bulls, in that kind of back half, you know, towards the end of the first run in like 93 when they beat the Suns, because I remember watching him play against, you know, to me, Barkley played for the Suns. He never played for the Sixers because um, that was the era I kind of caught it. And then all the baseball stuff and then, you know, was thrilled when he came back wearing 45 and all that kind of stuff. Um, so really what this documentary is doing for me is I knew the facts. Now it's given me the feels Of the early stuff that i was too young to understand um i knew who he played for who was on the team what they did and i got to see kind of the the mid to late 90s era but i never understood the early stuff and like the the trauma that that he went through with his dad and everything like i remember hearing that but i was too young to really understand how that would impact things um so there's certain things where i'm like wow there's a lot of stuff back here like a kid would never even be able to grasp and like like you're talking about the Steve Kerr fight like he was starting a fight with Steve Kerr to see how Steve Kerr would react to someone fighting to him and basically can I trust this guy to fight back or not i mean like he he would play these kind of mental games and on one hand i'm like i get it if you're going to play at that level i mean if you're going to be the greatest you have to sacrifice things and one of the the things that caught me off guard was how emotional that Michael Jordan's actually gotten in, in some of the interviews. And it's like when they're interviewing him today, not old footage, but the current footage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's literally, they kind of asked him the question you're asking now, like, was it worth not being liked by your teammates and the people who knew you behind the scenes back then to achieve what you've achieved in in the public and in the league. And he basically in a kind of a roundabout way said, yeah, I, I, I'm happy with the choices I've made. I can live with them. And then immediately he goes, I need a break. And he like takes yeah. the earpiece out and walks away. And you're kind of like, wow. But, but are you okay with it? Cause like your right. words and your actions aren't kind of marrying together there. So I don't know. What'd you think about that part MC? Cause that was no, a big moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I was shocked when I saw it because I think the attitude a lot of us have had about Jordan, uh, especially over the last couple years is that he's just kind of nonchalant and just doesn't really care. And I think that kind of, that kind of gave us an insight that no, like he's at the end of the day, he's still human. And he was obviously very affected by these things, even if he kind of had the perception that he wasn't. And while I still don't think that he would, I agree that he, he would, he wouldn't change a thing. I mean, I think that's super evident um, throughout this documentary. He absolutely wouldn't change anything, but I, I, you can tell that he, he has been, he he has been very affected and it kind of has gotten to him on some level this perception uh, of who he is and kind of the things that he's had to do and how that's being received now through another generation of of fans and people who are getting introduced to him. But um, but that was a great moment.
0: Yeah. The narrative they're kind of building around it and and kind of climax at that point to me was Michael Jordan loved winning and competing and beating the best in the world more than he loved other people himself and I don't know what his home like they didn't they haven't really gotten into his home life early on like they talked a, a lot about his relationship with his dad kind of as he's an adult uh, you know but they haven't really and I don't know what his relationship was really like early on but it yeah. really just seems like he had something to prove to his family to the world and he just cared more about winning. Than like literally anything else. And that's what stemmed with the gambling problem. Cause you know, the way he painted it with the gambling stuff was I don't really care about the money or anything. Like, I'll just keep playing until I beat you. And sometimes he, just he was wanted that. Beat yeah. Me. That, that that competition. He wanted yeah. something to strive for. Dude, and there's literally it, yeah. a scene where he's playing with I don't know what the guy's job was behind the scenes. Like he's just one of those dudes. He yeah, had amazing hair though. <laughs> you know, that, that dude like, he he had I, that like
1: amazing you know, hair. It was
0: like a, a shockingly white perm mullet. I don't know. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> no decade but the 90s could have. I'm his gonna hair.
1: find a picture to, to oh post in this guy Oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> but a they're perm, literally just perm mullet.
0: And and it's some game where they're just throwing a coin trying to get it like on this certain piece of the carpet behind scenes. And he keeps betting against this dude because he just wants to beat him at this stupid game. And that's what the narrative of this documentary has been. There's still two more parts of it that are going to air this Sunday to, to finish okay. it up. Um, but I think that's where it all came from. And so when they asked him that question and he really had to think like, was winning all this stuff, like making all these millions of dollars, winning all these championships, what I had to give up on a personal level between other human beings, like, was it worth it? And I think he gave the answer he had to give, but I don't know if that's the answer he wanted to give.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. And and also, too, I mean, like he has created a brand, obviously. I mean, it, he literally like the jump man is on football jerseys and basketball jerseys and, and it's on the middle of basketball courts. Like he, Michael Jordan is a thing, not just a person. And he can't really go against brand Kenny. I mean, I guess like you got to see an emotional side of him, but like, like you said, he had to give the answer he had to give. So, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's a resounding Mike. You got to watch this. Yeah. Okay.
1: For the most part. Yeah. Okay. Um, He's a it, security guard, by the way, too. Oh, okay. okay. He's he uh, he Mark's uh, security guard.
3: But it's not like a, it's not like a, a, a like a chop piece here where they're they're like tearing him to pieces. Like they're just they're you're well, they're showing what's going on. They're not like Michael Jordan's a piece of shit. Like they're showing you like well, what made this guy.
1: Well, yeah, but but the thing is, see, that's where like you have to take into account who's making it and who's in charge of, charge of this. I mean, this this documentary is is a. Is essentially a three-way production between ESPN, Nike, and Michael Jordan. So I mean, oh. I mean, they're, they're, like, there's 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 going to be a lot of stuff that that gets omitted from yeah. from this documentary that's not going to kind of showcase him in any kind of negative light. Like there there is um there is like there was one playoff there was I, I don't remember what series it, it was, but there's one series where he was like he he shot like like. Five for fifteen or something like that had like some like terrible point amount, but it wasn't mentioned in the documentary. They only talked about the game he had where he was fantastic against uh, whoever the whoever the opponent is. Yeah, and so like like there's things like that that get omitted. It's, it's stories like um, the NBA potentially uh, suspending him for the for uh, for the gambling. Yeah, which which, which which you know which 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 a lot of people believe is why he left to go play baseball. I mean, obviously yeah. his father's death, like it. a major major part of it also. Yeah. But like the 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 lo- you know the threat of a looming suspension for you know one of the phases of the NBA, not a good look. So he was gonna he was gonna get out. But that yeah. like stuff like that gets 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 omitted from from the documentary. So like. Yeah. It's still worth watching it. Yeah. it there's, it, it's been fantastic so far. Like it, I'm going down memory, memory lane myself. Um watching. I used to be a big Barkley fan. So like, I unfortunately remember <laughs> that, that, ser- that, uh, that Sun series against the the bulls where Barkley was, was beasting, but unfortunately, you know, couldn't pull it through. Um, but yeah, like this, this doc is basically just a giant PSA reminder, put together with you know jordan espn and, and nike
0: if you're <laughs> only gonna watch one episode though yeah watch the dennis rodman episode oh yes that, every <laughs> amount of insanity that you think this guy is i yeah. promise you it's more i promise oh. you like <laughs> okay. this dude was not <laughs> um in the Absolutely. best craziest
3: kind of way I'm excited about this now. Okay. All right. So it, it's been essentially a 15-minute commercial for why you guys should watch The Last Dance. And I, I'm, I'm sold. I mean, it's, I it's watch
1: worth it. It's a damn good commercial. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> All right. So, yeah, The Last Dance, you can check it out on ESPN. Um, Any idea if we can watch it online?
0: I think – well, you can watch it on ESPN Plus. I just – I have that because I have that um, Disney Plus – Oh, crap. Loop i do, do too plus. i just realized uh-huh. that
3: mm-hmm. we bought that we bought like the three-year thing but why have i not been watching this i didn't even realize that we had that son of a bitch okay all right well i know what i'm watching tonight okay uh-
0: yeah you just put in the same like login as everything else man and you you have espn plus and you can watch all the episodes right there
3: there you go okay well my problem has been solved so all because of disney thank you disney um I want – I feel bad because I, I asked James, James Rambo if he would be on the episode tonight, and the first, like, 15 minutes, he's basically silent, and I feel like a dick. Um, <laughs> But I, I, I wanted – Rambo, thank you for being patient, buddy. Thank you. Um,
2: glad you fellows found a thing you like.
3: I, <laughs> I'm i glad you guys like the sports ball. Um, I wanted to have you on, and god damn, did you do exactly what I was hoping you would do because – when I gave you guys the, the homework of, hey, come up with your five best MCU moments, right? That's the guy. Yeah, there. <laughs> the picture just popped up. That's fantastic.
2: That's pretty amazing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, so part two of this episode, our second topic we've been doing a lot of binging of things. Me in particular, I've been going through and watching pretty much every MCU movie I can get my hands on some that I either like watched like casually and I really needed to like give it another viewing or others. I just want to rewatch because I haven't seen them in years. Um, In doing so, this prompted a conversation between myself and Steve about our five favorite MCU moments. And I gave it to to, uh, MC as well. And, I told Rambo about this and Rambo is like Mike I have 12 and I'm like you son of a bitch thank you so much I mean, like,
1: <laughs> it's very easy to come up with 12 <laughs> you mm-hmm. like the like even in researching for for this just to remind myself cuz I haven't done a full MCU rewatch I'm like fuck that scene was awesome too crap yeah. that down I like, think
3: I, I think what this is going to end up being it's going to be like most of our things where we're like hey let's talk about our top 5 and then it like, ends up being like a top 50 so like <laughs> Um and and I I defer to you Mr Mr Rambo and the reason why is because you're our our in-house comic book and media expert. Uh you work at a fucking comic book shop. So I, I want to defer to you on this one and I'm going to let you start and we're going to go round table and we're all going to talk about this because in general like I I started I watched the first Iron Man um yesterday and I was amazed at how this one movie a very well put together movie is essentially what started the whole thing and it seems like along the way they really didn't have any missteps but um give us your give us your first moment um that you that i just absolutely love uh rambo we'll all kind of talk about it and then we'll uh steve your next mc then you and then i'll i'll pick up in the uh in the anchor spot there but um let's kind of start this mcu best of conversation
1: um
2: so I went through the movies. Uh, I just went down the list of the MCU one by one. I was like, all right, let me think about this one. Let me think about this one. Um, and one actually just occurred to me that's not on the list, uh, which is the first Iron Man and the dogfight with the F-22s. Um, or yeah. whatever the jets are. I don't know what they are. Um, I think they're F-22s. So that was a good call. We'll, we'll that, say that they are. You know? Yeah. yeah. The 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 big, expensive war machines. Um that was one of those things I saw in the trailer. and was like, Oh fuck. They, they did it right. Oh, Oh, okay, cool, man. Um, it was just one of those things that, that really kind of nailed down, not just the, the, the look and feel, but the, like, it it seemed like the essence of what, like what these, these movies should be. Um, there's I mean, there's specifically another I mean, there's 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 one other shot in the in the movie that that had that same sort of feel, which was the uh, when Pepper comes down and sees Tony um, working on the armor and he has the torso, head and arms on a chain and they're just cables hanging out of the, the like the belly of it, almost like intestines. Like I remember talking to a friend of mine about like a a script idea we had for an iron man movie back when this was first being discussed in the, the early two thousands and Tom Cruise was the front runner. Um, and we, we like talk about that exact image. Wow. Um, it's so, it, it, yeah, it, it, like, yeah, the, the, sorry, the dog fight. Um, it's just fucking cool, man. Like it's, it is, it's, Yeah. It's, it's a really great distillation of, uh, of what I was hoping for from those movies. Yeah. I, I would, I totally
3: agree. And like in watching it, I thought it would be kind of, I, I expected it to be dated, like watching it and being like, Oh, you know, it's so it doesn't hold up to the other ones. No man, that first one holds up. Like it really does. Like I watched it and I was like, I like this just as much as I did when I first saw it. And like, it's it, it, it just a solid put together movie and like that line when um and I feel like a jerk because I cannot remember his name but the doctor who basically saved him who put the electromagnetic and uh, electromagnet in his chest to keep the shrapnel out of his heart yeah, um, yes, yeah yes, yes,
1: yes. thank you
3: thank you um when he says to him as he's dying he's like he's like do something with your life basically like I'm, I'm paraphrasing but like that was think about it, that that one moment where that guy is dying on that rock in that cave in Afghanistan is what sprung the MCU. Because mm-hmm. if it wasn't for that, then we still have, you know, drunk playboy Tony Stark, you know, blowing his money on dumb shit and, you know, being the face of uh, of a corporation that is, you know, warmongering, basically. And like, yeah, just a fantastic movie. Um, Steve, you're up next, man. Give us your one of your top mcu moments
0: well like was stated here there's a there's a number of them there there's a lot of spots where you could pick something because it's awesome or it's meaningful or it really yeah. captured the essence of the character from the comics or whatever um but one for some reason i don't know why i always get the feels whenever it's the scene when all the, well, I guess not all, not Groot, but the four remaining Guardians of the Galaxy are holding the Power Stone together, and Peter Quill goes, you said it yourself, bitch, we're the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they just <laughs> melt them. Um, because I felt like the, the the greatness of that movie was they were able to mix together things that were extremely funny and goofy, extremely awesome, but then also heartfelt, like there's these heartfelt moments out of kind of nowhere. Um, you know, like Groot like you know, lifting his hand up and the lights coming out or whatever. Hey buddy. And um <laughs> and uh, you know, <laughs> that moment somehow had all of them. You know, it was like he says that word that I can't say because there's a small boy in the room, and yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's where that kind of like funny goofiness comes in. And, you know, all these people who have no reason to be working together and and hang out together are willing to sacrifice their lives by grouping up together to save other people. That's like the, you know, heartfelt. Um, and then, you know, melting a dude with an infinity stone, that's the kind of awesome part. So the things that made guardians of the galaxy good, and then the scores like swelling and everything like that, you know, the really, really well done there, um, it's just something about that moment kind of captured why Guardians of the Galaxy was good, um, and it just hits me right in the gut every time.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. I, definitely. Good call. Like, Guardian – you know, actually, here, GGR flashback moment. Um, I had never seen Guardians of the Galaxy when it came out. I, I was not – I didn't jump into the MCU hype like everybody else did. Like, when those movies started coming in, I saw Iron Man. Friggin' loved Iron Man. But, like – the rest of them I just was not excited. I was like, "Oh, I don't have to go see Thor. I don't really care whatever. I'll check it out eventually." And Steve was gave me his copy of Guardians of the Galaxy to borrow. And I was like, "This is a really damn good movie. Like, why did I miss out on this?" And like that kind of started me going back and I caught up on Thor and I caught up on the Avengers. Like I literally didn't see Avengers when I came out in theaters. Um it was later after the fact that I went back and did it. And like it's actually one of, the, one of the first articles I wrote on GGR, actually, too. I want to say it was like one of the first five. I was like, hey, I know everybody else already watched this movie, but haha, I'm watching it now. Check out my review. <laughs> um, yeah, g- good call, Steve. Yeah, definitely that part in, in Guardians was
1: great. MC, you are up next. All right. I'm actually going to circle back to, to Iron Man. Okay. Um, because uh, one one of the most iconic scenes... Uh, From that movie ended up being one of the most iconic scenes from just the entire MCU. And and when you when you think of the MCU, you think about this one particular line of dialogue that came out in the first Iron Man movie and was ultimately and ultimately came back full circle uh, in Endgame. um, When when Tony uh, snapped his fingers and announced, I am Iron Man and. I, I think the, the big reason I love that scene so much is because it was improv. And I'm a big improv guy, even though I'm no good at it. I always <laughs> love improv comedy. I love like the fact that people are able to think of things on the spot. And the, the, the original I Am Iron Man line from the, from the, uh, from the, from the first Iron Man film was completely improvised by Robert Downey Jr. Wasn't part of that scene at all. He improvised it at the he he just improvised it at the end, and Kevin Feige immediately stopped filming and started clapping. And was like, motherfucker, that's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and and it, it it's it, it's just f- fantastic to me how like something that's improv like that yeah ends up coming full circle in Endgame because the exact same thing ended up happening with Endgame and the fact that. That line was not originally part of part of the film. When Tony snapped, it was added. At the, it was it was added in post production. They you know they had to the fly RDJ in, have him go through all the no makeup shit. and everything just just to just to film that one scene of him snapping and saying, "I am and I am Iron Man." Snap. And it, it's kind of like it, it's hard for me to really imagine what endgame looks like or even even with the end of the original iron man looks like without that line being being in there
3: wow i didn't know that either that's awesome um yeah fantastic i mean like that that one line again kind of going back it, to what we were talking about before with iron man that shaped the mcu you know like that because think about it that essentially shaped iron man 2 as well because had he not said that line Mm -hmm. it's not going to be the same i'm open i'm tony stark i'm iron man here's the stark expo like whole thing because everybody knows who he is so yeah, yeah i mean and it shaped that movie and let me say this real quick before i go into my favorite moment i don't know why i'm i'm not sure why but for whatever reason, I had it in my head that Iron Man 2 was not that good. I don't know why. I'm not sure. I don't know if because people – Because everyone says that it's not.
1: Yeah, everyone – yeah, yeah, that's it. That is,
3: that is utter nonsense. And normally I would have used another word, but I don't know if Jack is still in the room, so – be... no, you're, you're good. You're good. <laughs> okay.
2: Go. Okay, all right. Okay, that's bullshit because <laughs> – Here's the thing, man. There's, there has yet the to be brief. a bad MCU movie. There are yeah. some that are only okay, yeah. but there is yet to be a bad one. Yeah. And this idea that, like, it's, it's, uh, Incredible Hulk usually gets lo- left off the list because people forget that it's still an MCU movie. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, um, the Thor movies to a degree up until Ragnarok. Yeah. And Age of Ultron. Yeah. None of these are bad movies. You might yeah. not like them. They might not be the best thing you've seen. And they're not necessarily the best of the MCU, but there is yet to be a bad one from there.
1: I agree.
0: Yeah. Um, like I would say, Justin yeah. Hammer is one of the top like, <laughs> characters in the MCU. That dude, He's Sam so Rockwell's good. performance.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm also is the it, guy who likes uh, freaking Kenneth Branagh's in, in Harry Potter. So I might be a weirdo that just likes those <laughs> characters that don't belong. But that's beside the point.
3: But Justin Hammer was great. Like wa- watching watching him in Iron Man too. Watching Sam Rockwell like was he was for from a for me like being a guy who was in the military like. And and seeing douchey contractors. That's he he nailed that. Like <laughs> he had that smarmy quality, but kind of charming at the same time. Like it was yeah. Um my um my moment was something that when I first saw Avengers, and again, after the fact, I didn't know that this scene was in the movie. I just figured it was Hulk and Iron Man and Captain America and Thor just, you know, kicking ass like they did. I didn't realize that there was a scene as powerful and emotional where Loki is looking over this throng of people in, I think it was in, um, Grand Central Station. And he's basically like, kneel before me, I'm your ruler. And this one old Jewish man stands up and he's like, why aren't you kneeling? And he's like, he's like, I'm not kneeling for you. And he's like, oh, well, you know, blah, 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 this, blah, blah, that. And he's like, you've never seen any man like me. And he's like, no, there'll always be men like you. And, like, that that hit me in the gut, dude, because, like, this guy was saying, I, "I fucking kill me, cool, send your little Chitari dudes and vaporize me or whatever, use your staff and hit me in the head and make me follow you, but I'm not bowing to you. And, like, the fact that you've got superheroes busting their ass to do everything they can to stop this invasion, but you've got this old man who has no business standing up against a, a an Asgardian. And he's like, no, fuck you, dude. I'm not bowing to you because you're you're a piece of shit like that. That was so powerful. I have everything to lose. I have no chance in hell in fighting you. But I refused to bow that. That was like to this day, still one of the most emotionally powerful moments in all of the MCU. There's a lot of really, really good ones to me. That one is just like bar none, just like just incredible.
0: Good choice.
2: That scene is he's in Germany. Stuttgart. So, like, there's an argument that could be made that that's actually a Holocaust survivor. Oh. They were in Germany at that point? I thought they were in New York. Stuttgart. No, no, no. Well, so, like, that, that scene takes place in Germany.
3: Oh, okay. All right. I thought, yeah.
2: That's, yeah. that's why Cap and, uh, and Iron Man have to fly out.
3: Oh, yeah. I have to watch – see, i got to watch The Avengers again. I haven't seen it in years. Yeah. You deserve that's... to watch The Avengers again, Mike. You know what, Rambo? Thank you for that. I needed that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we've come full circle now. We're back to James Rambo. Give us another moment, Mr. Rambo. Um,
2: all right, so we did like – I mean I, I have another Iron Man thing. I actually have two more Iron Man things on the list. But uh, I want to move on to what – sh- the, the, the franchise in the MCU that I have liked the least up until very recently – um, but I will say that a very recent rewatch has sort of um, uh, uh, reinvigorated my, my enjoyment form, and that would be the Thor movies. Uh, specifically, uh, this is from the first Thor, and it is yeah. when Loki confronts Odin over oh, his, wow. uh, his parentage.
3: I just watched um, Thor yesterday, too, and
2: yeah, good choice. Well done. Dude! Um, so for the longest time, and, and I, I maintain this, my, my issue with the, with the Thor movies, and in particular the first one, has been that um, there's not a lot earned. A lot of things happen because technically they're supposed to. Um, individual parts work really well, but as a whole they don't really gel. Um, but you talk about one scene that is masterfully done, and two Shakespearean actors directed by a Shakespearean director – um, and, and master of, uh, of, of, uh, that particular genre, um, or I don't know what the term what, what, before it would be, um, having just a pure father, son, like child learning their adopted moment. Um, Tom Hiddleston screaming, tell me to his dad, uh, to Odin is just, it's so powerful and it's so impacting, uh. And yeah, it, it it's even when I, even in the times when I was like, uh, Thor movies are boring as shit. I can always come back to that and be like, but that scene yeah. is amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, dude.
3: And like in watching that, like I, I, I didn't really put it together and I don't know why I like, I, I was enough of a comic book fan growing up as a kid that I knew who Loki was, but also, you know, Norse mythology, you know, he's the trickster. I got it. Sure. Like, Watching that movie, you see this brother relationship between Thor and Loki. And like early in the movie, you're like, well, why would Loki ever deceive Thor? They're brothers. They're buds. You know, like he would never do it. And you get the slow reveal throughout the movie. Thor is sitting in that cell managed by S.H.I.E.L.D. after trying to get Mjolnir and realizing he can't. And Coulson comes in there and kind of debriefs him. He's like, who are you? What are you, like, some sort of terrorist, some secret op? Like, what the hell is going on? He walks out and Loki shows up. And Loki's like, you can't come back, brother, because father's dead. And I'm like, this motherfucker? Oh. Yeah. Like, I, And then I'm like, wait a minute. No, he's the trickster. Of course he was going to do this. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> well done. Well done. Bravo. Like... <laughs> For anybody who wasn't familiar with that, like that was the moment where you were just like, Oh shit, he's been playing them the whole time. Like anybody who's a comic book fan kind of saw this coming, but like how that was it was well played. Again, like you said, Shakespearean actors. These guys were all fantastic. Say what you will about that movie, but like the acting is just like spot on. Yeah, and like performances are incredible. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Good call, man. Um Steve, what you got, man? Give us another one.
0: Hmm. Well, I think I'd have to go with the moment that they did in Homecoming, where Spider-Man is buried under all of the rubble, Um, because that, you know, gave me the the impression of, and Rambo is gonna have to probably help me on this Amazing Spider-Man 33.
2: I think it's, no, it's definitely a reference to that issue. It's, it's, it's when Peter's pulling himself out of a uh, uh, doc Ock's lab.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and they definitely adapted it. Vulture doc. Ock, Cause they, they kind of leave you on the cliffhanger in the issue prior. And he's kind of like trapped and buried. And he kind of has to like talk himself up. And that was the part of the, the Spider-Man uh, movies that I've liked so far uh, with homecoming and far from home. Was they really captured that kind of like he's not a big time superhero, and that was the hardest part that the raimi I I, mean, I love the Raimi ones. The Amazing Spider Man's have some benefits and some qualities to them, uh, for sure. But this one is like they finally placed him in a universe where there like there is a bunch of like known and popular and immensely powerful superheroes, and he's just like a kid trying to figure it out. Um, And he's like, well, sometimes I'm just going to have to be the hero and lifting that building up and, you know, it paid homage to the comics and it, um, you know, kind of matched the theme of the movie. Um, And my buddy, uh, Jim, that, um, you know, me and him would talk about comic books, you know, when we were growing up in high school and all that kind of stuff, too. Um, And he was always I was always kind of more X-Men and he was always more Spider-Man. And he he would always kind of mention, like, that was one of the cooler things that he liked. And um, when Superior Spider-Man was coming out um, and they were, you know, we were reading those, we were picking up issues every every week. They mentioned and they made homage to that scene because Superior is a big deal with Doc Ock and all that. And, um, you know, him and I were talking about that. And when I saw that scene in that movie, it made me think of like really good times that I had with my friend talking about. Spider-Man and talking about comic books and stuff like that. So there's a little extra nugget of nostalgia in that particular moment that, that I get to take advantage of. Um, but yeah, that one, that's a really good moment for me. I like that one. Yeah, that's on my list. hundred percent.
3: That, that is, yeah, like that's, that's something I've really liked about this Spider-Man, the Tom Holland Spider-Man in general, from, from him in Civil War to Homecoming to Far From Home, like he's That's how I always pictured Peter Parker is like he's not cool. He doesn't sound cool. Like this is also the first time that I've ever heard Peter Parker actually sound like a New Yorker because like he had that cadence about him in in Civil War where he like talks really fast. That's if you know anybody from New York, if you're not prepared, like (laughs) If you're not ready, like they will blow past you when it comes to a conversation because their mind is moving a million miles an hour. And that's how he talked. And I was like, this is this is the first New Yorker I've ever seen. That's Spider-Man. This is fantastic. And like he he is, is inspiring. Like you watch his movies and you want him to succeed. You root for him. And like, I mean, toby mcguire did a great job of that too and like andrew garfield to a certain extent but like there's something about tom holland as spider-man that like i've really enjoyed so far so yeah that that moment is is excellent steve good call um mc what
1: you got for us bud let's see uh let's go i'm gonna go with the um the entire bucky escape scene from um civil war um when when he's when uh you see him kind of uh, defeating Falcon. Um, you have that great scene of, of Tony and, and Natasha with their usual banter, but Tony, you know, he's like, "I hope you brought a suit." And Tony's all like, "Yeah, it's a whatever fancy designer person," <laughs> know. And then, and then you uh, peeks you know, he peeks around the corner, and you know he, because he, he's like, "Oh, I'm saying, you know, I'm retired. I'm not, I'm not doing the active hero thing." But he's like, F it, you know, I'm going to jump in here. And then he has that great, that great confrontation with Bucky where he, you know, he flashes him, goes up there, grabs the gun. And then you have that, that awesome moment where like Bucky squeezes the trigger and it fires into Iron Man's hand. And you have that, you have, they do that, that, that little pause that just kind of shows that Tony for a second was like, oh shit. Yeah. He didn't know. He didn't know if it was going to (laughs) work. Oh shit. Okay. Woo. Then uh then and, and then like th- like there's just so many great one on one character moments in that moment when, when T'Challa uh comes out of nowhere and starts starts giving Bucky them hands and then and then <laughs> Bucky manages to to get to get out anyway and he gets onto the rooftop and into the helicopter and then you get you get one of my favorite Steve Rogers moments where he's literally preventing the helicopter from taking off. Oh, yeah. Dude, and to, and like, to, yeah. And, like, you want to talk about Sacrifice
3: Man? Like, apparently that scene, just filming that, like, fucked Chris Evans' arm up big time. Yeah,
2: He strained his fucking bicep doing that. Wow. Yeah. Goddamn psychopath. Because
0: he's,
3: <laughs> he's a fucking professional is what he is. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: I love at the end of that chase, too, like some of the behind the scenes, how they get them to run so fast where they're running on those like boards that they're pulling when they're running down the highway. Oh yeah. And like and like it, it just looks so good. And, you, you know, they've done it in movies since because it's not fake CGI kind of stuff because it's actual people running because you get that feeling in the movie when they're like black, especially Black Panther and Captain America, you're like. They are hauling ass. They are running so fast, like that's only superhero speed right there. Like I thought that yeah. was such a cute little effect, but it's it works so well. You I know? don't
2: know if they had done it before, but the first place I saw that that effect used was the first Underworld movie, when Michael Sheen is chasing after uh, Kate Beckinsale and Scott Speedman. They had it was just it was a length of carpet that they ran behind the car and they had, and do this around the exact same way um and yeah but yeah that was the first time i saw that and i was like son of a bitch that's fucking genius <laughs> that's such a good idea
3: that was awesome um you know i was i was reading something about modern uh special effects and how a lot of people are are like Not happy with them in general. They're like modern modern special effects, especially computer generated stuff, doesn't look as good as it used to. And they're like, it doesn't make sense because technology is far beyond where it used to be. But like they use the Marvel movies, the MCU movies, as a perfect example of of when of when CG works well, because it's not all cg it's cg and practical together and like right. the the kind of template that they use for this like your, your benchmark is the original jurassic park because yes that means yeah. cg but you use cg and a ton of practical and like that that's kind of where this goes because if you don't have any practical you can do whatever you want and yeah okay it might look cool but it doesn't look real right and it's also like they do that weird color thing where they like change the tones and stuff in movies to like I, I guess mask that it's CG, but it also makes it look muddy. And in all the MCU movies, and I think you guys can attest to this, it, with the exception of a few scenes, which it became a thing on Facebook, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, <laughs> that some people are like, for the most part, very few people complain about the CG effects for any of the um for any of the movies for any of the Marvel movies.
2: I don't think you get a lot of complaints about the CG overall, but a big complaint I hear consistently is about the Marvel movies is how they'll end up with one villain is just direct. is just evil version of hero. And two, the movie will end with two CG versions of them fighting each other.
3: Yeah. Okay. Which is essentially black Panther. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just an interesting
2: of CG thing versus, versus what were you saying? Um, uh, oh, yeah, no, just real, real quick. A um, uh, 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 thing that I'll say in, in terms of uh, CG versus practical effects is yeah. um, practical effects are going to age a lot better. Uh, I mean, it's it's what you were talking about. But yeah. that's why you get things like the reason Iron Man looks as good as it does yeah. is because Favreau was really smart and talked to a bunch of different kinds of uh, visual effects artists um, and his DP. And everybody was like, all right, I don't know how to do this. How should we do this? And so he just took. He's like, all right. So in in each of these individual moments, and he's in each of these shots. This will be this will be entirely computer generated. This will be partially um, like like CG and practical. This will be an entirely practical. This will be a practical part with just this one CG augmentation, as opposed to being like, okay, it's 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 why the prequels, the Star Wars prequels look shitty as they do. Yeah, because they're entirely computer generated. Yeah. Um, Whereas when you have something like Iron Man, where it is this combination of a bunch of different things, like you can look at it and pick it apart. Um, it's also honestly why I'm a little worried about how Endgame and Infinity War are going to age, because the Russos were doing a lot of heavy computer generated stuff. Um, so I'm curious to see how those are going to look in a couple years. Um, but yeah, man, it, it practical effects. They always look as good as they're going to look like, even if they yeah. look like shit now, they're never going to look worse. <laughs> Look that. As bad as it's gonna get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's as bad as it's gonna get. So suck it up. Like, and yeah. they're cheaper too. They're cheaper. They employ more people. They're more engaging. Yeah. Ugh. And yeah. Anyway, but <laughs> well, we will we will talk about
3: that in great detail um down the road at some point. But what I wanted to do here is um being that Mr. Monic is no longer just the father of one. Uh, small boy. He is now the father of two. He does need to go because he needs to help his wife get the get the boys to bed. Um, so we're gonna go ahead and let Steve do his last one, um, and then we're just gonna go ahead and keep running this show um, with uh, Rambo, myself, and MC. But Steve, give us your last great MCU moment that you wanted to get before you gotta go.
0: Yeah, uh, my favorite character has always been uh, Captain America. Um, I I love the idea that you know you can always make yourself bigger and stronger but you can't make yourself you know like you are who you are you know what i mean like in what makes captain america great isn't that he's a big strong guy it's that he's a good person um and you know that moment where bef- right before the the um you know it's not a surgery the procedure um that night before when him and uh Erkson are talking you know and and he's talking about red skull and he's talking about his failures and he's talking about why it was a failure um and you know they don't get into the technical stuff of like we didn't have the right fighter razor blah blah no it was because you know red skull found that as a shortcut to dominating people and really why it works for captain america in my opinion is because he was doing it for the right reasons he was doing it to protect people um and i just love that little conversation it's not a big moment it's not a flashy moment but it does a good job of kind of painting why Captain America is a cool character and why I like him so much, and I'm an idealist and he's an idealist, and I like that.
3: <laughs> yeah. And it works, man. You know, you. Yeah. You, you, Fuck, you, it. Yep. Fuck it, man. Yep. Exactly, dude. Well, Steve, as always, buddy, thank you for being part of our our wonderful podcast thing as you have been since uh, the early days. Um, get those kids to bed,
2: and we'll uh, we'll catch you next week. Oh Love yeah, man. And if I didn't say it already, congratulations,
1: sir. Okay, yeah, congratulations, man.
0: Oh. <laughs> You guys have been great about saying that congrats, but you know what? I always take a little more. <laughs> Cause obviously I did a ton of the work. Um, <laughs> like, delete mean, that. Delete that now. There's at least one I'm thing you did to... early on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, real quick. That's one of my favorite Jim Gaffigan jokes where he's talking about, he goes, he goes, you know, when you think about the woman's, you know, they, they grow the baby in their body and then they birth the baby out of their body. And then they feed the baby with their body. And when you think about the male contribution to life, Where, yeah, well, I help, too, you know, doing the one thing I think about literally all day. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, love you uh, so much, and game time. All right, Steve, have a good night, bud.
2: Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website, greatgeekrefuge.com, for all of our awesome articles and wonderful podcasts.
0: And Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy.